0: to have you back for the Resilient Leadership Learning from Crisis podcast. I'm Seth Schultz, the Executive Director of the Resilient Shift. Since our last episode back in July, we've been reflecting on the wealth of insights distilled over four months of weekly interviews with our 12 participants around the globe. We identified some behaviors and strategies that constitute resilient leadership articulated in the value of reflective learning, and we posed three big questions that can help frame the future of resilient leadership. We launched a report with these findings at a TEDx countdown event in mid-October. You can click on the link in the episode notes if you'd like to find out more about this report. Now, back to the episode. Small spoiler alert, you won't be hearing from Peter or me today. Over the last few months, we were often asked what was the process behind the weekly distillations of insights. So today, we thought we'd give you a glimpse behind the curtain and meet the team that actually made this project happen. You'll hear our project manager and podcast producer, Sidharth Natgarni, in conversation with three key members of the project team, Temke Goobles, Jenny Soderberg, and Shivani Guy. They'll discuss what the project meant to them and what they learned throughout the process. They'll also walk you through how they processed, synthesized and curated insights, extracted lessons, and shared information with all the participants in real time while creating podcasts, blog posts along the way. On time, each week, for 16 straight weeks. They made it seem so easy, but I can assure you it wasn't. I'm exhausted kind of just remembering it. So please join me now in listening to their story.
1: Hello, everyone. How have you all been?
2: Good. How are you?
1: Good, good. It's been, it's been a few weeks since we, we got on a call together.
2: It feels ages ago.
1: Yeah. It's, the, it's, <laughs> it's like time is, a, time is a flat circle in this pandemic. But I'm so glad we could uh, all get the band back together one more time before we close out this project. Of course, they're all new voices for our listeners, so perhaps let's begin with a round of introductions. Let's start with Femke.
2: Sure. Um, My name is Femke. Uh, I am a senior manager at the Resilient Cities Network, and um, there I work on mainly on program implementation with um, cities
1: across the world. Great. Uh, moving on to Jenny.
3: Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Jenny. Right now, I am a graduate student at the University of Cape Town's Graduate School of Business. I'm studying social innovation, and I recently relocated to Cape Town uh, right before the pandemic, actually, in about February, from the US, Washington, DC.
1: And last but not least, Shivani.
4: Hi, Siddharth. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, Hi, everybody. I'm Shivani, and I am an MBA candidate also at the Graduate School of Business at University of Cape Town. Uh, Again, I'm here from Cape Town with you guys. Um, I've been here for about five years, but I'm originally from India. And currently, I serve as the Youth Pathway Manager at the Western Cape Provincial Government.
1: Which you just started a few days ago. So congratulations on that one.
4: Thank you so much.
1: All right. So I wanted to kick off our conversation today by giving our listeners a bit of the taste um, of the process we followed over the four months of this project. I'll start and I'll kind of move in chronological order. And then I'll bring each one of you in to talk us through your involvement in this process. Uh, So as you guys know very well, and maybe some of our listeners do as well, we essentially ran the same process for 16 weeks uh, with each cycle, i.e. from interviews to insights to outputs taking two full weeks. On the Monday of each week, the process would, of course, start with uh, Peter having these in-depth conversations with our 12 participants. These would normally be 30-odd minutes of interviews uh, that we would record and then transcribe using an AI-based transcription service. By Tuesday or Wednesday of each week, we had a few transcripts to get us going uh, to start distilling insights from these interviews. I want to get Shivani's input here to talk about what this distillation process looked like and how it may be changed over the course of these 16 weeks.
4: Thanks, Adag. So originally, Jenny and I were both brought on as research assistants for the project. So uh, it was envisioned that we would help Peter do the research for each of his interviews before the interview started. So originally, basically every Saturday before the week started, Jenny and I would provide um, individual interviewee contexts, uh, their organizational contexts, their industry overall context, and the country context as it pertained to the emergence of the pandemic. So we would give him weekly updates as um, things were emerging for him. Um, quickly through the process, we we realized that Peter really preferred for it to be much more organic. So he could just, um, he could hear from the interviewers themselves. So it transitioned into, instead of us supporting in a research role, more supporting in distilling the insights for him before it went on to the next step. So After the transcription process was done, Jenny and I would have the opportunity to read through the transcripts and basically QC them uh, because there were certain words or certain accents, for example, that maybe the transcription software didn't do such a good job of. And uh, that was my favorite time of the week is just really listening to these interviews and uh, hearing these stories real time, hearing these interviews real time, and uh, just almost like forming a bond with the interviewers without even getting to know them. And we would just pull out like certain insights that were particularly applicable or very useful to the current contexts and provide them to the team for further distillation. And that's where our role kind of ended for, in terms of the research side of it. Yeah.
3: Do you think from, <laughs> oh, I was just gonna add from the upfront research, um, I did feel like I got quite vested in all of the participants and their locations. You know, whether it was learning about the city where they were the chief resilience officer or learning more about their organization, Um, I think that insight just gave a little bit more humanity to the process as we were going through it.
1: Well, that where you guys drop off there is where I think uh, what I thought was my favorite 90 minutes of the week started, uh, which is we would take all the raw notes that you guys pulled together. Then Femka and I would do a bit of the the same uh, on our end. And then we would have this Friday morning editorial meeting with Peter, which I'll bring in Femka to tell us a little bit more about.
2: Yeah, it was funny that uh, you both said favorite time of the week. For me, this was also this editorial meeting, the three of us was was really interesting. And we would discuss kind of what all of us had picked up on in the transcripts, in the notes, in the conversations. And we would always like pick out different things. And we kind of constructively fight over what was um, going into the summary and into the insights. So it really turned into the three of us going into like a debate club. And uh, that was a very useful exercise to start teasing out patterns and observations that also made me really aware that everyone has a different perception and a different view. And I think the three of us trying to sort of bring that together was a really helpful process.
1: Great. And then the result of this meeting was often um, a long list of insights that had been distilled from everything that had been done so far. Um, And we had set ourselves a goal of converting that into a four-page weekly summary for our participants. So over the weekend, Peter and I would top and tail it, edit it down, and uh, apologies to to bless Pascal here, but more time would not have made these weekly summaries shorter. There was just so much good stuff in there. Um, And we would have that sent out to our participants by by Saturday or Sunday, which brings us to the second half of the cycle where we've taken all these insights and we're converting it to public-facing outputs. And this conversion to public-facing outputs is happening as the next round of interviews has begun. So lots of stuff happening there let's begin with the, with the weekly insights blog that femka would take the lead on
2: yeah so we felt it was really important that as we went uh, that we would share some of these insights and didn't just keep them to the, the participants and the project team so every every week on a tuesday we would put out a one-page weekly insights piece that would sift out sort of the patterns and trying to write down um, a couple of the most interesting observations from the preceding week's um, weekly summary, but without accrediting any uh, individual participants. So we tried to put out some observations. It wasn't always easy to really capture the intimacy of the conversations in like short, written, anonymized text. But because of the fact that the crisis was unfolding in such a rapid tempo, we felt it was key to get some of the top level messages out along the way rather than just keeping it to the end uh, with the report afterwards.
1: Great. And then I think the podcast started serving a similar function, which is to to draw some of these top line messages, start to start to make connections to things we had heard in previous weeks and so on. And for that one, it would basically begin that Monday after we've just sent the weekly summaries out to the participants. And Roman, who's who's behind the curtain, for this episode as well. And I would start developing some talking points for Peter and Seth. Uh, and then it was just a matter of getting them warmed up and to press record. Uh, they've got two very different radio styles, as, as I think it's it's very obvious when you listen. Uh, but they just seem to come together really well, in my view. There's actually a moment from one of our early test recordings where uh, one of them quoted a Greek philosopher. I, I won't say which one. And the other one followed up by with a, with a Mike Tyson quote and unfortunately that that perfect storm never came again, and it's it's my regret that we never managed to make it into uh, a podcast. Um, which brings us on to jenny and and the final final output of our of our cycle uh, with the illustration that accompanied the blog post.
3: Yeah, so one of the things that I love doing, um which this is probably my favorite part of the week, so I'm glad that we all had a favorite part. Uh, is taking complex information or processes and um, turning them into visuals to better convey what is coming out of this process. So uh, I thought it was really interesting. I had a lot of material to draw from, whether it was the raw transcripts, the pre and post debate club insights, um, you know, the weekly public insights. But um, really, I thought it was interesting that participants, regardless of their cultural background or their language oftentimes they would speak in these visual you know, analogies in terms of how to describe the process that they were going through or, or how the virus is spreading. Yeah, there was just a wealth of information each week to pull ideas from um, and take some of their insights and um, make them visual and illustrate them to go alongside the podcast in the summary.
1: Great, and uh, that's how the sausage was made. So well done, everyone. Thank you for, 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 for being so articulate with the, with the whole process. Um I just wanted to change gears a bit uh and cast all of our minds back to March 2020. I think we've mentioned on the podcast before how quickly this project came together. I think it took us just over 2 weeks um which went from like an idea that that Peter dropped in an email to to the Resilient Shift um to having the first interviews with Peter Chamley and Barbara Hampton on the same day. Um, And the only thing that was set in stone at the start was that we wanted to have these weekly interviews with corporate leaders and city residence officers and distill insights um and that was it, which really isn't a lot to go by um and yet all of you decided this was something you wanted to be a part of, um even if we worked things out as we went along. So I wanted to hear from you what drew you to this project, or what did you find interesting? in this in this early phase or at the start of the project so maybe let's begin with femka again
2: for me it was two things that drew me through this project and i think the first one was this really this unique moment in time or or the window of opportunity that we had to do this work um, never before has an entire generation of government and business leaders in recent history at least been so connected by a common threat and um, arguably this would be one of the most challenging times in their professional career, so it was really quite thrilling um, to be there with them, um, albeit virtually. Second, I would say the method of research or the, the line of inquiry was so different from any other project that I'd ever worked on. This was not a rig- rigorous um, academic exercise with a detailed research plan and publications, etc. The nature of the work was experimental. And we didn't know at the start would these weekly um, unstructured and very personal conversations uh, yield insights and collective wisdom that are really worthwhile sharing beyond the team, and they really were. Um, but I think it was mainly because of the candidness of our participants.
1: Yeah, I think I think the the way I think all our participants came into this, I, I think it, it was it was just key. I mean, it just it just transformed. I think it just went beyond what we were expecting um, for sure.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, How about Jenny?
3: Yeah. When Peter approached us about this project, um, I think I was about one month out from having left my full-time role, which was in DC and I was working with executives and executive teams. And as coronavirus started to hit um, and spread around the world, I thought, you know, wow, I can't even imagine what those people are going through right now. And then Peter said, Oh, well, here's a project where we can capture what people are going through real time. Um, and so that really appealed to me because I said, you know, this is going to be such a just um, fun- fundamentally, you know, radically uncertain period of time that people are going to be navigating and how can we capture what they're going through um, as they're experiencing it and not in hindsight, you know, everything in the aftermath is 2020. And you look back and you you remember the high highs and the low lows, but you not, might not remember what you struggled through every week as a leader and with your team so that was something that was really really appealing about this project
4: now that we're talking about peter i, I remember the first meeting that we had with him and just listening to him i was like this guy is a real maverick and i think it's <laughs> going to be a lot of fun working with him because he just he goes in the flow and and to me that was super important at that time in my life because i was going through my mba it was very academically rigorous we were referencing papers and it was it was just so exhausting and the way he described the study just sounded so agile and uh, exciting. And then also the the format in which we were going to disseminate the information was going to be so much more digestible than an academic paper. And I thought now more than ever, young people need to know, I think like Jenny mentioned that what's happening in the world and how are leaders um, going about all of this And, and to have a podcast or to have weekly blogs that people can read instead of waiting two years later for a published academic journal um, I thought that was a very exciting study to be a part of, and 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 then again, also the the real time element of it, in hearing these insights every week was very exciting for me. So that's I knew I had to be a part of this.
1: Yeah, I think I think the 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 agile way in which uh, the project evolved was was also super interesting. It took us, I think, three or four weeks to even come down to something we knew kind of works, having tested and discarded other things have all these different drafts of our weekly summaries to participants that are still in my recycle bin. But yeah, it eventually just seemed to come together and and absolutely Peter was, was a big part of that, just going with the flow and illustrating or demonstrating active listening throughout mm-hmm. the whole whole process.
3: I think that's a great point about your reflection on the process though, because we described it earlier and it makes it sound so tidy and like we had it down to a T and we did eventually. but in the beginning, It was really messy, you know, for the first couple of weeks as we all figured out how to best work together and fit together a timeline and a process that would produce what we wanted to in real time. I don't think that was no small feat.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I think it was like week eight or something where all the all the, you know, the aspirational deadlines and aspirational timelines for everything just seemed to actually work. And I was like, yes, I've done my job. This thing can work without me. (laughs) Yeah, but
2: and also we all all of us tried to like take things out of Peter's hands because he was having yeah. weekly like 14 conversations, half hour, and we were all like, Well help, we can do this for you. And he was like, No, no, I need to stick <laughs> with this. This is my stuff. And he's like which I was a great dynamic.
1: Which which is a great segue into my next question, I think, which is um this whole this whole project lasted four months and of course there's this things we're still closing out with the final report and this this podcast but was there a particular particularly memorable moment or or moments that stood out to you in the course of these four months maybe let's start with femka again
4: sure
2: so uh, actually my memorable moment that i i come to think of instantly is a dog barking in the background and um let me just take a few steps back to explain why but this uh, opportunity to really listen to leaders has given me kind of like some newfound faith in decision makers as rarely were really exposed to what goes on in their minds and what challenges they face on a day-to-day basis and really the variety of skills they need to uh, master to show up as a leader. And listening to them made me really realize that they come in all shapes and sizes. Their commonalities, they have commonalities between them, but they're really all unique individuals. But I think what each and every one of them really displayed was genuine empathy and humanity and despite the relentless nature of their work, hearing them talk about both their personal and professional challenges helped me really put a face or a person to a title. And uh, in one of the conversations uh, sort of early on or midway through, um, Craig's dog barked in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that read, read to like a really lovely short chat about his dog Piper and how the dog has really become sort of a regular feature of his meetings with his team. People ask him about this dog and, I don't know, it was just a really simple reminder that everyone is human and that there is a person behind the the leader. And I think that will help me relate much more to decision makers.
1: God, the dog. Yeah, I remember that one. And I remember Roosters in the background when we were recording podcasts uh, from Seth's, uh, Seth's household. Let's move on to, to Shivani.
4: Yeah, no, I guess mine's a, a, a bit... Darker, but um, I think uh, as we were recording or, or the study, uh, and it was focused on COVID nineteen. Um, Black Lives Matter also um, started almost like a month into into the study, and uh, it was so intense just this moment because in real time, um, Alex, who is the uh, chief resilience officer for Oakland, she was relaying her real time experience of not just dealing with coronavirus, but also dealing with with um, Black Lives Matter, especially in Oakland, it was so real for her. It was at her doorstep. Um, in addition to just the actual protests and and everything happening, she also is, is like a young Black woman. So her own personal struggles of, of dealing with separating that, her personal identity and her professional identity, and how she dealt with it, for me, that was such an intense moment of realizing that no one challenge comes um, alone. You know, people are juggling so many balls at the same time. And then also, it was very interesting, in, in contrast, was um, some like high level private leaders maybe from from Europe and how they were watching it almost uh, from the outside in and how that was unfolding for them and uh, just their reaction how different it was yeah so that was that was something that's very memorable for me and i think i'll keep that with me for the rest of my life
1: yeah that's an interesting point i mean i think blm and 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 the blm protests and and what came after is is also what stood out to me uh, i think particularly because of how Deeply um, personal. Some of our participants' responses were, and it kind of ties back a bit to to Femka's point about seeing them as 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 people first. And and the one one thing that particularly struck struck me was uh, Tom Lewis's reflections over over those few weeks, where he he starts by saying he's he's just had time to think about this, and you can see that you know there's there's a thought process. it's ticking away in his mind over weeks about his privilege as a white man and it eventually culminates in this conversation with Elaine Roberts where they discuss their responsibility as leaders in their organizations to those who don't get a seat at the table for these very structural and societal reasons so that was definitely a bit of a a bit of a shining light for me in in what was actually a very dark time and Jenny I know you had similar thoughts so I'm just going to bring you in here
3: yeah it's just such a memorable period of time I think just to have these two crises happening side by side and I think um, getting to hear from participants how it rippled across the globe I'm actually remembering that I think part of the visual for that week is a protester with Black Lives Matter signs and kind of ripple waves across the globe because hearing from people in Brazil and Australia and just how it was prompting different conversations was really powerful um, and it also made me kind of connect to something that Barbara has said multiple times, which is, you know, there is no new normal. There's only the now normal, kind of what is happening now. And, and we, we're so compelled to force ourselves back into a status quo that I, I don't think is really going to exist moving forward. Um, you know, and things are continuing to adapt and evolve and really challenge Leaders across all levels, and so to see people have to maintain kind of that adaptive mindset as crises after crises unfolded, um, I think was really profound.
1: Yeah, and that uh, and that paradigm, the the now normal. I mean, it's just a fantastic one. I have I, been using it in other contexts as well, and it it just it just rings a bell. People get it immediately. You don't have to talk about what it means, really.
2: I need to get that on a t-shirt.
3: <laughs> if Barbara's listening, she had a lot of uh, very visual quotes also throughout our time. Like she she mm. speaks in things that are nice to bring into visualizations. So that was great.
1: Siobhan, you, I think you wanted to add something there.
4: You just reminded me when you talked about Tom Lewis's journey is also something that was very profound was uh, Peter Chamley's reflections on the same in Australia and how he talks about the Black Lives Matter movement also kind of rippling into the Indigenous people's rights in Australia, and how he talks about something so fascinating is like growing up. He said he went to like an Indigenous people's museum with a bunch of local Australians, and uh, how they all talked to him about in their schooling and growing up in white suburbia or whatever it may be that they never even thought that, that these issues existed and it just made them realize that they were living with this evil their whole lives or, or this ignorance almost their whole lives and how it, it brought it to the forefront so yeah I just think it's it's so interesting how this one movement kind of like Jenny said like rippled across the world
1: yeah absolutely we are nearly at the end of our episode here um, and I wanted to kind of well bring us back into the present um, step back a bit Think about this project nearly three months on from our last cycle of interviews. What do you think you will remember as the most interesting or fulfilling or or remarkable thing from this project?
2: I was trying to think about this this morning and it may not be the most groundbreaking epiphany, but I think the recurring theme of trust is what really struck me. And we're seeing this now as many countries and cities are uh, going through second, third waves, with new restrictions coming in. Trust in public authorities is really um, crumbling. There's a fatigue. Uh, decisions are easily like politicized or questioned, and trust really seemed to be sort of the the currency of a leader during a crisis. And you can only really build that up before the mayhem strikes. And um, I think a lot of our participants showed that being open and empathetic uh, really helped them to create that trust and showing vulnerability is not a weakness. It is a testament to your integrity. And I think that's a point that all of them really brought home and then sort of slightly related to that. I think it also, this project as as a whole has really solidified my belief in the power of listening really uh, as I'm, as I'm preaching, uh, the power of listening which is something we can't really do if we're busy talking so that is something I really take away from this work and I hope that organizations or people who have who've participated and engaged with the material I hope this will really give them some sort of more strategic importance to the art of listening and how it can help uh, leaders and organizations.
3: I think tied to the art of listening it was great to see some of the participants when they did break-offs where they would have conversations one-on-one with each other. You know, they, I think, gained new appreciation for what each other were going through. Oftentimes, it was someone from the private sector talking to a chief resilience officer. And, you know, the challenges were different. And so, I think that they got a lot of insight and learning from each other and, and kind of what they were going through in different sectors. And so, I think the power of listening, especially when it comes to stepping out of your sector or your silo or your team um, and just going to bridge, and make those connections. Um, listening is critical. The other thing that really came to mind for this project was that all of the participants reflected on how amazing this was to have the space and time to reflect every week with Peter. I think almost all of them referred to it as a form of therapy for them as they were going through this crisis. But I think it really solidified for me um, that as human beings, we need to take some space and time to reflect, especially as we're going through these very momentous occasions. And that that's just going to help benefit not only ourselves, but potentially, you know, our team, our families, our friends. And the last thing that just kept coming through for me was that um, this really was insight into A generation of leaders and their willingness to share that with the next generation, kind of help empower others and and give away their power, so to say, to empower other people that came through as a really strong theme throughout all of our interviewees. And so I just think that's really positive for this next generation of people who are coming up and ready to step up and take more responsibility and help lead. And so I hope that this project helps give insight to that next generation?
4: I just, in line with what Femke saying about fatigue, I think, uh, what, like six, six months down the line, a lot of people I've heard them say, can't wait for things to get back to normal again. And, and that's been like a recurring theme. And it's, it's, um, had me reflect on what a lot of leaders said in the study, which is, um, maybe the old normal was broken and, uh, you know, whether it be in terms of racial justice or social justice or environmental justice or economic justice. And maybe this big rift in time or this this huge pandemic that we've had to go through has been a, a really good opportunity for us to to look back at how we did things in the old normal and uh, Um, Is capitalism the answer to everything? Is consumption the answer to everything? And they really question themselves on it as business leaders and and leaders of cities. And and that's something that I've continued to take with me as a theme in in my life going forward and and in the businesses that I take part in is this new normal that we've had a chance to construct. um, How will we go forward and make sure that we do it right this time and how lucky we are um, to have this time in history to, to create almost a new normal and, and bring about the systemic change that we we've, we all talked about. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big one to, to drop the ball. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's something that that's been on my mind uh, three months down the line. Yeah.
1: It is a big one, but I really think that was the big key learning for me that you know this is seen as a time of disruption, and our I guess our propensity as human beings is to want to crave. The comfortable and and the normal, but it's been six months, seven months since we've all been dealing with this, and and it's great how people are changing their minds about what that new normal uh, Mm -hmm. needs to look like. You know, what of the old do we want to retain, and uh, what of this new or the now do we want to keep? Well, I think we'll be we'll continue to have these conversations. um, The project's kind of going on. We're having a a catch up a kind of a reunion with all our participants planned in a couple of months and i'm sure we'll hear some of these th- themes coming up again but for now i just wanted to thank you all uh, not just for making time today and sharing your views but for the excellent work you've all done we've all done together uh for these four months it has truly been the professional highlight of my year and i just can't thank you guys enough for it so thank you so much
3: thank you thank you
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with a special episode. I'm really excited about it. Peter and I are going to be speaking with Christiana Figueres and Tom Karnak from the Outrage and Optimism podcast. We'll take a deeper dive into some of the findings from our project and what that means for resilience, climate action, and leadership in the future. Follow us on your podcasting platform of choice, and you'll know as soon as that episode is out. And make sure you check out the project report. You'll find a link in the episode notes. This is Seth Schultz signing off on behalf of The Resilient Shift. We'll see you soon.